The title of my message this evening is An Urgent Word. How many of you know that there is a word and then there's an urgent word? Amen. There's a word and then there is a word of great importance, a word that just cannot go unspoken. And in 1 Peter 2 and Romans chapter 12, Peter and Paul both bring an urgent word to the people, and it's the word that the Holy Spirit would bring to us tonight as well. Amen. The title is An Urgent Word. And before we go there, let's just go to the Lord in prayer one more time and ask Him to be with us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank You that You are in this house this evening. We thank You for the love that You demonstrated towards us, Father God, on Calvary's cross. A love that was able to look past all the pain, all the suffering, all the heartache. Was able to look past all of the, the mockery and all of the things that we, because of our sin, did to Him. And say, forgive them because they know not what they do. We thank you for that kind of love tonight, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this evening, that you would touch my mind, touch my heart, as I always ask and rely on you, Father. I don't want to rely on my own strength, wisdom, or knowledge, but I confess my need for you, and so do your people. They need you, Father God, to receive your word, to understand your word, to have your word uh, find a place in the soil of their soul. I pray that you would come against every distraction, every hindering spirit, every care of the day, Father, and let us receive with gladness this word that you have for us this evening. We praise you for your power and your presence. And all of God's people said, Amen. 1 Peter 2.11, or in 1 Peter 2.11 Peter begins his message with these words, Dear friends. He doesn't open this letter. He doesn't open this message with dear strangers or, or he doesn't open his letter to the heathens or to the citizens of the earthly kingdom. But he says, Dear friends. Peter brings this word of urgency to his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He brings these words to the people of God who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He brings these words of urgency to those that received the word on the day of Pentecost and who were adding to the church daily. He was not speaking these words to the, earth, the, to the heathen. He wasn't speaking these words to the unsaved. He was speaking these words to the children of God. And God is speaking these words to us tonight as well. And to them he says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and live your life among the pagans in such a way that even though they mock you and speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify the Lord. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus speaks a similar word that Peter does in the conclusion of his message when Jesus says, and you all know it, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works or see your good fruits or see your good deeds or see your goodly character and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Because how many of you know it's always about God's glory, amen? It's always about bringing glory and honor and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always about Him and never about us. Amen? You see, the reality is the four and twenty elders who stood around the throne didn't bow at our feet. 
They bowed at Christ's feet and God's feet and they gave Him all the glory and they gave Him all the honor and the power and the praise. We shouldn't want any glory and we shouldn't want any honor and we shouldn't want any praise because the Bible says if we are to boast, we're to boast in the Lord. Because anything good that people see in us is only because of what Christ has done and God has done. It's always about Him and it's always about His glory. How many of you want to bring glory to the Lord? Then according to this scripture that we just read, and according to the words of Jesus Christ, we must live rightly and uprightly in this world. According to Jesus and according to Peter, without living a goodly life or a godly life, we can't bring glory to the Lord. Without living a goodly and a godly life and a righteous life, we can have no impact on this current age. But the truth is, God has anointed us for that very reason. He's anointed you to make a difference in this world. He's anointed me to make a difference in this world. He has filled us and He has empowered us and He has put His Spirit within us to make a difference in this world. He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness so that we might make a difference and have an impact on this lost and dying world. He's called us and He's equipped us to be a shining example of His kingdom on this earth. That's what you need to understand. God has given us everything pertaining to, God, uh, to life and godliness so that we can be a reflection of His kingdom on this earth. You see, the only kingdom that you and I are supposed to reflect being born again is the kingdom of God. The only character that we are supposed to be like is like is that of, of Jesus Christ. And that's part of what Peter is speaking to the people, that we are to live in such a way that this world would glorify God. God has anointed us so that we can have an impact in this world. And unless we live like we belong to God, we can't bring glory to God. Unless you and I live our lives, unless we live and move and breathe in order to glorify the Lord and, and, and live like we belong to God, we cannot glorify Him. To glorify in the Greek the, the way that Peter explains it and the way Jesus explains it means to make magnificent. To make magnificent in the way that we live and to make magnificent in the way that we talk and to make magnificent in the way that we live and move and breathe. It means to make God magnificent. I hope you understand the depth of what it means to glorify the Lord. It, it, it means that, that in everything we do, in word and in deed, we should make God magnificent. Every time a word comes out of our mouth, it should be a word that makes God magnificent. When we get dressed up in the morning and we put on our clothes and we walk out the house, we should dress in such a way that it makes God magnificent. When we go into the workplace and we face hard times and difficult times and people are playing politics and doing all sorts of other stuff. We should act in such a way that we make God magnificent. That's what it means to, to glorify the Lord. That's what it means to, when others see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. In all we do in word and in deed, we should bring glory to the Lord, the Bible says. In all that we do in word and in deed, according to Galatians 3.17, we should do so to make Him magnificent in the eyes of those around us. Not just in the eyes of God. God already knows He's magnificent. 
The world needs to know that God is magnificent. The world needs to know that God is worthy of praise. It's the lost one and the dying one. It's the the heathen and the hypocrite. It's those who need to see God made magnificent so they can glorify the Lord, church. How many of you know there's only one who is worthy? There's only one who is, is worthy of glory and honor and power and praise, and that's the Lord God Almighty. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, church. And everything we do in life, everything we do in our marriage, everything we do in our finances, everything we do in our community, everything we do in church, everything we do in ministry, everything we do at the workplace should make God more magnificent. Amen? So understand, Jesus and Paul, what Jesus and Paul are calling us to, they're calling us to live our lives in such a way that it would cause others who would not normally consider Christ to be much of anything, to consider Him worthy of all glory, honor, power, and praise. Because to glorify means to cause to be more splendid, excellent, praiseworthy, and brilliant than normally would be considered. It means to cause to be elevated and honored in the eyes of others, to make worthy in the eyes of others. So in other words, we are to live our lives in such a way that it would cause those around us who would never consider Christ in the first place to come to that place in their life where they would consider Him worthy of glory and worthy of honor and worthy of power and worthy of praise. It's based on how we live and how we act and how we move and how we breathe while we're here on this earth. How you and I live and move and breathe has the power to cause someone else to give glory to the Lord. How we live and move and breathe has the power to cause someone to consider Christ who would have never considered Christ before. You know as well as I do, there's some people in your life, people that you are acquainted with who wouldn't give Christ the thought of, who wouldn't give a a moment's thought to Christ. In the middle of their situation, in the middle of their struggle, in the middle of their heartache, in the middle of their trial. But when they watch you and me, when they watch the way you and I live and move and breathe, it might cause them to consider Christ as their Savior to consider Christ as their helper, to consider Christ as their redeemer, to consider Christ as their propitiation for their sins. They need to see someone making God magnificent so that they might consider Christ the same. This is what it means to glorify the Lord. This is what it means to live in such a way that others might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. This is what it means and this is why it's an urgent word. It's an urgent word because this world is lost and dying and going to hell and they need to see some good works. They need to see someone who believes deep down in the soil of their soul that God is worthy of all power and glory and honor and praise. And if they don't see it in you and me, where are they going to see it? If they don't see it in the sons and daughters of God, where are they going to see it? If they don't see it among the Christians and the believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, where else are they going to see it, church? This is what it means to glorify the Lord on this earth. It means to change the way others think about God by the way that we live. This is what we are urged to do. 
We're urged to live in such a way that it causes others to consider Christ, that it causes others to come to Christ, that it causes others to call on Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, just like you and I did. To to have someone else glorify the Lord means to cause others to consider Him the one true God and only wise God. You see, there's a lot of individuals out there that think there's a hundred different gods. Think there's a hundred different ways or a thousand different ways to God. But you and I need to live in such a way that it might cause someone else to consider that He is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to life. The only way to the Father. And it all hinges on how you and I live our lives. It's why Peter said to the people, I urge you to listen to these words because it's the only way this world will get saved. We're the only Christ that someone will ever see. We're the only word that could ever be put into action in their life. We're the only hope that they might ever be able to grab a hold of. And if we're none of that in the way that we live, what hope do they have? This is the word that Peter is speaking to the people. And the first thing that we need to understand or look at in Peter's letter is the urgency of his message. Here Peter is begging his listeners to follow his words. When you study the words and and in the Greek, and I'm not going to get into all the Greek and the Hebrew, but when you study his words, Peter is literally begging his listeners to follow his words. I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, he says. I strongly entreat you from the bottom of my heart. I will press you and compel you to give immediate attention to these words that I am speaking to you. Because how many of you know the most important words you will ever hear are the words of the Lord? The most important words that this world could ever give heed to are the words of the Lord. The most urgent message you and I in this world will ever hear are the words that come from the mouth of the Lord, church. Because man does not live by bread alone, the Bible says. He doesn't survive by bread alone. He doesn't find strength and power and nourishment from bread alone. But by every word that what? Proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. I hope you know that these words are the power of God unto salvation. These words are a a lamp unto our feet and a a light unto our path. They, They show us where we're standing and where we're going, church. These words are truth and life. These are the only words that have power over every unclean spirit. My words don't have that power. Buddha's words don't have that power. Krishna's words don't have that power. There's only one word that has the power over every unclean spirit, and it is the word of the living God. These are the only words that can open up prison doors. These are the words of the Lord, and they are urgent, church. They're urgent every time we listen to them because these are the only words that can pierce through the darkness like it pierced through the darkness of our lives and sets the sinner free. These are the only words that had the power to change your life and change my life. And they're the only words that can change the lives of those around you. And listen to me, if you don't demonstrate that these words are magnificent... That these words are worthy of power and worthy of glory and honor. Why would anybody else care about them? If these words aren't something you'll cling to, if they're not honey to your lips and water to your soul, why would anyone else care about them?
If you're afraid to, to even whisper these words to those around you in the workplace, how can they ever be life to the listener? These must be magnificent to us, church. And the sad reality is they're not. Some of this magnificence is still under the backseat of a lot of people's car. Some of this magnificent is sitting up on a top shelf collecting dust. Some of this magnificent is covered with the clutter of the world, church. This is the magnificence of God. And this is what we have to demonstrate in our lives so that others might see our good works and glorify, consider worthy the Lord God Almighty. This is the urgent word that Peter is speaking to his people. Please understand in a pagan, flesh-filled word, world according to Peter that calls out at every corner in a pagan world filled with the, the voices of vice, we must heed God's word above everything else. I urge you, Peter said, with all of his heart, he desperately wanted his friends to hear God's voice. He desperately wanted his friends to heed the word of the Lord, church. How many of you know God calls you and I friend as well? He wants his friends to heed his voice. He wants his friends to hear his voice because he understands that, that his words are the only words that can set the captives free, like I said. His words are the only words that are living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. His words are the only words that can pierce into the, the spirit and the soul of a man. His words are the only words, church, that can judge the, the thoughts and the intentions of a man's heart. His words are the only words that can offer life. And it's why they are urgent. It's why they must be spoken to this world not hidden somewhere, not lost uh, amongst the clamor of a lost and dying world. You see, the reality is this world has a voice. This world has a voice for a lot of people which is louder than this right here, louder than the voice of the Spirit, louder than the voice of God Himself, louder than the voice of the kingdom of God. And they, they've got to hear the right voice. But the reality is this world has a voice. This world has a message that calls out to you and I and our children and our family and society every single day. It calls out from the corners of Hollywood. It cries out from our television sets every time we turn it on. It echoes from every department store. You walk in, buy me, purchase me. Want me, envy me, be me. This is the voice that cries out in, in the society and the world that we live in every single day. It tempts you at every checkout aisle. It, it, it calls out your name at every magazine rack that your eye comes across. It sings to us on the radio. It even speaks to our children in the school today, all trying to conform us into its likeness instead of the likeness of God. And the sad reality is, we allow those words and we allow that cry to be the cry that we listen to. We allow the voice of this world and the call of that world to seduce us 
into surrendering our commitment to Christ and our covenant relationship to Christ. And what happens? We lose our effectiveness in this world because he, we are not projecting His magnificence any longer. This is why this word is urgent. Because you and I should every day be making God magnificent. But every time we listen to a voice other than this, other than the kingdom of God, other than, than the voice of God Himself, His magnificent diminishes in our life. And our impact and our anointing dissipates just as well. I know this is a strong word, church, especially on a Wednesday night with a lot of faithful people. But it's just as urgent for us because if God's going to use anyone to make a difference, He's going to use those that are seeking Him more than others. And it's why this word is more urgent for us than it is for those who don't care about coming to the house of God at all. Because God will use His remnant before He uses the rest. You can take that however you want, but you're responsible for the Word tonight, and He's speaking something to you, church. This world cries out at every corner, trying to deceive us and lead us astray like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. The only difference is, I'm not talking about the Pied Piper of Hamlin. I'm talking about the Pied Piper of hell itself. I'm talking about Lucifer. I'm talking about the devil. I'm talking about Satan. I'm talking about Beelzebub. He's the Pied Piper we need to worry about. He's the Pied Piper that's behind the flute that's leading hundreds of God's people and thousands of God's people astray every single day. He's the Pied Piper that is causing God to lose magnificence in our life because we're following the wrong tune. Because we're listening to the calls of this world instead of the call of Jesus Christ Himself, church. This is what we have to understand and it's why Peter's message was so urgent. Please understand the only way we can overcome the calls of corruption and the calls of compromise in this wicked world is by giving heed to the word of another kingdom. You see, this kingdom calls out every day. And unless we're tuned into another kingdom, we won't know how to live. We won't know how to move. We won't know how to breathe. We won't know how to make Him magnificent on this earth, church, if we're not tuned in to another kingdom. You see, the reality is, if you think you can go without prayer and the Word of God for a moment in your life, you're sadly mistaken. Because we need to hear the kingdom calling us every moment of every day. In the middle of every situation, we need to hear the voice of God's kingdom calling and speaking into our lives. We got to be tuned in. And sometimes to do that, you got to turn off the TV. You got to turn off Hollywood. You got to turn off Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or somebody else that might be feeding a bunch of man's mumbo jumbo. We need to listen to the word of God. We've got to have our ears tuned to that church or we cannot make Him magnificent. Amen? This is what you and I have to understand. The only way that we can overcome the lies of Satan is through the truth of God's Word. There's only one Word that has the power to make a crooked path straight. And that's the Word of the Lord. That is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God Himself. Listen, the only way we can overcome the trials and temptations of this lost and lowly world is to trust in a higher kingdom that has a higher call. 
You understand what I'm saying? The only way, I'm going to say it again, that we can overcome the trials and temptations of this lowly world is to heed the call of a higher kingdom that has a higher call. This earth, this world, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, he doesn't have a high call for your life. He's got a low call. He'd love to see you crawl around in the dirt. He'd love to see you wallow with the pigs. He'd love to see you eating corn cobs for breakfast and corn cobs for lunch and corn cobs for dinner. He'd love to see you wallowing in the filth of this world and cause you to be beggars. He'd rather see you under than above, below and not the beneath. He'd rather see you the tail than the head. And that's why he will speak to you moment after moment after moment, trying to lead you astray. But we have to answer to a higher call. And that call, according to Peter, is to live in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's the high call for everyone that calls themselves a believer, to live in such a way that we make God magnificent in our lives. That's what it means. That's what the higher call is all about. It's about lifting yourself above the miry clay, lifting yourself above the circumstances of life and the the trials and the tribulations of life and the sadnesses and the sorrows of life, about the failures and the frustrations of life, the, the pains and the agonies of life, lifting yourself above all of those things and still saying from the bottom of your heart, Father, you're still magnificent. Father, you're still worthy of glory and honor and power and praise. You're worthy because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was headed towards hell. But even while I was still a sinner, you died for me just like we sang, church. That's what it means to glorify the Lord. And that's the high call to live uprightly in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. Turn on the TV for five minutes and you will discover real quick that we are living in a crooked and in a perverse generation. And the sad reality is, listen to me, if we don't understand this urgent word, that crookedness and that perversion will creep into our life. And that crookedness and perversion will creep into the house of God. And then what? The church has no power in this world has no impact on this world. It's why the word that Peter was speaking was so urgent, church, and the urgency of living uprightly in this world grows greater every day because this world grows farther away from God every single day. It's urgent because every day is is a day closer to the Lord's coming. It's urgent because every day might be the last day you and I have an opportunity to make a difference in someone else's life. It might be the last day to let our light shine. It might be the last day to pray for our son or pray for our daughter. It might be the last day to have an impact on the the hopeless and the hurting church. It's urgent. And Peter understood that even 2,000 years ago. If it was urgent then, how much more urgent is it today? This is an urgent word, church. The next thing that we have to understand is he said, I urge you to live in such a way 
that the world can see the kingdom of God in your life and glorify Him because of it. He says, I beseech you to live as pilgrims passing by. Notice what He calls them. He urges them to live as pilgrims passing by and not settlers settling down. And unfortunately, that's what the church does a lot of times. It was an urgent word for Peter because Peter understood, listen, for this church. Here, remember, he was speaking to the individuals who were adding to the church daily. And if those numbers were to increase, if those numbers were to to continue, if the, the church of the living God was to grow stronger and greater and the outpouring of the Spirit was to, to expand, they could not afford to forget that they were pilgrims passing by. That this world is not our home. That this earth is not our dwelling place. We have to live in such a way that this world knows and understands there's something different about us, church. And that difference is we understand that this earth is not our home. Heaven's our home. We have to have a heart for heaven. If we do not have a heart for heaven, if we never find ourselves saying, Come quickly, Lord, come quickly. If our heartbeat isn't to see heaven, if our desire and our longing is not to look fully into His face, there's something wrong with us, church. It means we're settling down instead of passing by. You see, last week I told you that we need to be built up in Him, rooted in Him, not in this earth. But sadly, that's so often what we do. We let our roots go down into this world. We pitch our tents here. We dig for gold here. When the Bible says, don't store up treasures on earth, he said, store up treasures in heaven, church. Every, everything in Scripture points to the cross and to heaven. It doesn't point to this earth. It always points upward. And you and I need to understand that that's where we have to keep our eyes set. The second thing Peter speaks to the people, not just the urgency of the word, he speaks to them a reminder. And that reminder is that they are simply strangers, that they're aliens in this world, pilgrims passing by, strangers, the Bible says, in a strange land. He reminds them that they don't belong here and we don't belong here. Yes, we have to be in this world, but we don't have to be of this world. Yes, we have to be in this world, but we don't have to love this world because of the love of the world is in us. The love of the Father is not, the Bible says. Love not this world. Don't be attached to this world. Don't let your roots go down into this world. Don't dig for gold in this world. Don't hang your hat on this world. You understand what he's saying? This is what you and I have to understand. We cannot afford to forget that we're just passing by. He reminds those that are building the church that this world is not their home. And he reminds us that it's not ours either. The reality is we are just pilgrims passing through to a higher home and that home is in glory. Not here. We're spiritual beings with a spiritual home. We're spiritual beings with a spiritual father. This is what we cannot afford to forget. The greatest danger for every believer is forgetting that. The greatest danger for every believer is to forget that we have been born again of another kingdom. We've been born again. That means, listen to me, not of the flesh, the Bible says, 
It reminds us that we've been born again in the Spirit, born again of a different Father, born again of a different seed, a spiritual seed, a heavenly seed. This is not our home. We might have been born here, but our home is in heaven, church. And we've got to live that way. What we have to understand, church, the last thing that we can afford to forget is that we're headed home and that this world has the power and the potential to distract us and keep us from getting there. This world has the power to cause us to lose focus. This world has the power to cause us to get our eyes off the the things of God and get our eyes on the, the things of this world. And it's what the devil wants because he doesn't want you to think about the... He doesn't want you to think on things above. Because listen, when you and I begin to think on things above... We begin to live and act and dress and move and breathe like we're children from above. And so if he can get you to forget that you're children from above, you begin to act like children from below. You begin to stop acting like spiritual children and you begin to act like fleshly children. You stop acting like humble spiritual children and you begin to start acting like spoiled, rotten, fleshly brats. And this is what the Word is trying to tell us, that you and I are to live in such a way that we cause others to glorify the Lord so that they might see your good works, your godly works, your heavenly works, your righteous works, your works that have been, been, been formulated, I could say, from above, motivated from above. That's what has to drive us. That's what has to dress us. That's what has to talk through us. That's what has to move us. Is is the voice and the culture that comes from above. Because if it doesn't, we just blend in. If it doesn't, we make no difference in this world, church. That's what we have to understand. That this is not our home. But unfortunately, far too often, the forgotten reality is this world is not our home. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so you can be with the Father just like I'm with the Father. And the sad reality is sometimes we forget we got a heavenly Father that's watching us. Sometimes we forget we got a heavenly Father that's looking out for us and looking after us. He sees everything that we do. Just like when we were kids and we couldn't figure out how our earthly parents could figure out what we were up to and when we were up to it, like they had eyes on the back of their head or like they had a direct line to God, which most parents do, amen. We got a direct line to God. The reality is we've got to live our lives in such a way that we understand that we have a heavenly Father that's watching after everything that we do. And everything that we do should magnify Him should make him magnificent. Amen? Romans 12, 1 and 2, as I begin to wind this down, Paul is speaking now. We looked at Peter, now we look at Paul. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, again, look who he's speaking to. He's speaking to his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the Romans who had gotten the Christians in Rome. And he says, I urge you. Same verbiage, same passion, Same call, same depth, same all of that that Peter has, he has. And he says, in view of God's mercy, 
I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies or offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your true and proper worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world or do not be likened to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to the culture and the ways and the pattern of this world. How many of you know? Listen, this world has a pattern. You can see it. You watch it. Every season, this world cuts out a new pattern. This is what you have to look like. This is what you have to dress like. He cuts out a pattern. This is the way you need to talk. And these are the words that are popular. And if you're, you're, not, you're not part of this pattern, you're a dork. You're a geek. You're out of touch. You're outdated. You're whatever you want to say. If this world has a pattern that it tries to cut us and make us into. It builds a mold that it wants to press us into so that, that when this world is done with us, we don't look like the kingdom anymore. And we don't talk like the kingdom anymore. And we don't live and move and breathe like the kingdom anymore. And, and we, don't do, we don't do a family like, like the kingdom would have us do. You understand what I'm saying? This world, this is why he says, I'm, I'm urging you, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but what be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Father, so that you might prove that you're sons and daughters of God, so that you might prove that old things have passed away and all things have become new, so that you can prove that you're from another kingdom, so that you can prove that you're from another country that's on a higher hill and that hill is in heaven. You understand what he's saying? Do not be conformed to this world. I urge you, Paul said, speaking with the same conviction, He was saying, if you don't hear anything else that I say, I urge you to hear this. Do not be conformed to the culture and the likeness and the pattern of this world. Because when you do Romans, when you do South Metro Ministries, you will no longer be able to make God magnificent in the eyes of others. Listen, the only thing that sets you and I apart from this world are the good deeds and the Christ-like character and the blessings that come out of our mouth. It's, it's, it's the, the, the character of the kingdom of God that sets us apart. And the reality is, listen, how can we be a reflection of the kingdom when we have become conformed to the culture of this world? How can we prove that we belong to God When we look just like this world and act just like this world and talk just like this world and do ministry just like this world and cheat like this world and lie like this world and fornicate like this world and party like this world and cuss like this world and and live our lives just like this world. How can we prove we're citizens of a higher kingdom when we're living just like those on this earth? How can we? This is why this is an urgent word. It's urgent. It's hard, but it's urgent. Listen. It's hard to be made like Christ. It's hard when God has to chisel at our life. It's hard when we have to receive things that aren't easy to receive. But God does it for a reason. He does it always. It always goes back to His glory. 
It's always about him. He chisels you and chisels me so we can make him more magnificent. He puts us in the fire. He puts us in the lion den. He puts us in the olive press. He puts us in the wine press. He puts us in a briary patch in order to make us more like him so that he might receive more glory, so that he might be made more magnificent in our lives. Do you understand what what Peter and Paul and Jesus are speaking here? These are the words that he's speaking. Do not be like this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove that you are children of a higher kingdom. The question is, how can we prove heaven is our home when we live like it doesn't even matter? How can we prove that we're pilgrims passing through when we're still digging for gold on this earth? If this world has a stronger pull and hold on us than our home beyond the blue, how can we ever expect others to come to Jesus Christ or to glorify the Lord? That's what it means to glorify the Lord, to live in such a way that it would cause others to want what we have. That's what it means to glorify the Lord, to live in such a way that someone stops you and say, I don't know what you got, but I need some. I don't know how you're making it through. I know your story. I know your heartache. I've heard the stories. I know what you're going through, the person says. But you've got something that I need. That's what it means to glorify the Lord. It means that that individual that mocks you, according to what it says, makes fun of you because you don't fit in, because you make different choices and different decisions for your life, because you've got convictions that you will not let go, that you've got standards that you won't set aside. That individual that one once mocks you for that and, and makes fun of you for that, comes to you and says, I need you to pray for me. That's what it means to glorify the Lord, church, to live in such a way that it causes others to consider Christ. After considering the booze, after considering the drugs, after considering the sex and the pornography, after considering the seductions of this world, they come to a place because of you and me, because of the life that we live before them, and say, I want to consider Christ. Amen? That's the urgency of this message, church. The question is, can this world tell by the way we live by the choices we make, by where we spend our time, spend our money, spend our energy, that we belong to another kingdom, that we belong to Jesus Christ, or do we fit right in right here? That's what Peter, that's what Paul, that's what Jesus wants us to ask. Am I a representation of the kingdom of God? Or am I a 
a representation of this earth? Does this world want what I have? Or do I want what they have? That's the biggest question you could ever ask your life, ask yourself. If you go through life constantly, I want what they have, and I want what they have, and I want what they have. Woo! You don't know what you have already in Jesus Christ. How many of you want Jesus Christ? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if you want Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to hype it up. I'm not going to do anything big here. But the question is, are you abstaining from the sinful desires which are waging war against your soul? Or are we surrendering to the seductions of our sinful surroundings? Are we like pilgrims just passing through with our eyes set on heaven? Or are we still trying to stake our claim in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation? God wants us to want nothing more than Him. He wants us to reflect nothing more than Him. He wants nothing more than for us to make Him magnificent so that others can see our good works and glorify the Lord. Amen? How many of you just say, God, I want to glorify you in my life. And whatever it is you have to do, I'm willing to do it. I'm opening myself up tonight, God, so I can be a right reflection of the kingdom of God. Move on me, mold me, make me, break me, do whatever you have to do, God, so that my life makes you more magnificent. Amen. I want that to be your prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I know it was an urgent word. That was the title. My, des- my, my desire and goal was to not be condemning, but to be challenging to all of us, Father, so that we could understand the urgency of these words that Peter spoke because so often we can read, just read over these words and not understand the depth of the desire that you have when you speak these words. And that desire is for us to live in such a way that this world that would mock us and this world that would make fun of us, this world that would not in one moment consider you at all, because of the way that we live, would consider you once and for all in their life. I pray, Father, that we would not be conformed to this world, but that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be transformed into your likeness, God, so that we might be able to prove that we are citizens of a higher kingdom, citizens of another country, Sons and daughters of the Most High God and not sons and daughters of this world. Move on our lives. Move in our hearts. Do whatever you have to do, Father God, to make us more like you. To help us make you more magnificent in every area of our lives so that this world would want what we have. Take this word tonight and let it be a constant challenge and a constant reminder Father, I know that you can't do all that you want to do in our lives right here in these next two minutes. So I pray that you would take this word and let it be a constant challenge in our lives. Every day, let us wake up asking this one question. Will I reflect the kingdom of God today or will I reflect the culture of this world? And I pray, Father, that our desire every day would be would be to be a better reflection of